Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 which you will find in the Old Testament section of our Pew Bibles, beginning on page 166 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, by your Spirit, teach us what we need to hear and show us what we need to do to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. After the people of Israel had heard the Ten Commandments, Moses instructed them further. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and ordinances, that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and absorb them diligently so that it may go well with you and so that you may multiply greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm wondering if I asked you today where you are headed. Some of you might say, well, I'm going to brunch next. But I'm wondering in a bigger sense. Do you know where you're headed? Do you know where you're headed to? What God has in mind? When your mind wanders, do you have a a, a dream job, a retirement place that you have in mind, or perhaps just a bucket list destination, a dream vacation you want to take? I'm wondering if you've ever had the experience where you find that dream job and it turns out to be a nightmare, or you go on that dream vacation and have it turned sideways by COVID perhaps or by a family emergency. What do we do then? My husband, Ken, who's here with me today, 
and I took our family on a sabbatical trip. It was his sabbatical in 2013. We went to national parks. We went to Mount Rushmore, Mesa Verde, Grand Canyon, Yosemite. All in all, in three months, we drove 8,437 miles with our ninth grader, who was a little bit sullen about missing her friends for the summer, and her fifth grade brother, who was delighted in everything and a nonstop talker. So we have the introvert and the extrovert three feet away from each other for the whole summer. The highlight of the summer was when we did a mission trip in Mexico with Amor Ministries building houses, and that inspired my daughter to become fluent in Spanish, leading to what she does now, working with immigration law. But God works in surprising ways, even though I would have to call it really the best, hardest, stupidest thing we've ever done. Drive together, be together that long for one intense summer. What about you? Do you have a dream job or a bucket list in mind, a retirement? What do you do when there's disappointment or things might not work out the way that you expected? Scripture shows us that when God is bringing us through hard times and disappointment or even saying no to a dream, perhaps disciplining us, Scripture shows that God is often trying to protect us or to prepare us. And we have seen that time and time again as we've traveled with the Israelites through, out of Egypt, through the desert, and in their wandering for 40 years. We can hear that same principle at work in our Scripture today in Deuteronomy you know, the Ten Commandments were first given in Exodus. Last week, we heard them from Deuteronomy when Moses restates them after 40 years, says them for the next generation. We could call it the Law 2.0. So the Israelites are on the brink of this new land. They're so close they can see it across the river. But they're in this in-between space, thinking about what will come next. And so Moses is reminding them of all God's words, that God is wanting to both protect and prepare them. Last week, we heard about the Ten Commandments. Today, we heard about what's called the Shema. What am I saying? It's a Hebrew word. It comes from this, Shema Yisrael. It means, hear, O Israel, or more like, hear and obey. Israel. We said it in our call to worship. You heard Richard Bell just recite it. And so the people asked Moses to teach them, and this is what he shared. So today we'll look closer to ask what was the good news for the people then, and what is the good news for us in this passage? So, what was the good news for the people then? In verse one, Moses began, You are here at last. So, here. Hear God, hear who God is and what God has in mind. Love God. These are the most important things that Moses wants them to know. He restates what he had previously shared in the commandments one and two. It's a positive restatement of all the particular statutes and ordinances. The commands have a wondrous beauty. They not only function to solidify the covenant with God, but they also were the best assurance that that covenant would work for the people, too, going forward. 
That's what Ellsworth Callis says in Ten Commandments from the Backside. Moses reminds the people that breaking the commandment is an offense against God, and also it's against their best interests. It also destroys the community in a horizontal way and diminishes their own worth. Moses points this out. But the Shema is not exactly a prayer. It's more of a confession or a declaration of belief. It's as if I were to ask you as a congregation, friends, what do you believe? And you would say, what? You'd answer perhaps with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ. And you'd go on like that. These familiar words have been drilled down throughout the history of the Jewish people. They've learned this from childhood on. What do you believe? Shema Yisrael. I believe that the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And I'm to love the Lord. By Jesus' time, the Jews recited this prayer every evening and morning. Observant Jews still may do that, say it two times per day try to live it out, and have in-home reminders. Have you ever seen a mezuzah, which is on the doorposts of a home? Observant Jews are supposed to touch the mezuzah each time you enter a room between the kitchen, between the, uh, the bedrooms, I believe. It's a reminder of God's law in a literal way, but it's also a holy effort to saturate your whole life with awareness with reminders of God. Let your home be filled with the word of God every day, says Scott Hosey from Calvin Worship. Now, when Ken and I moved with our family to Philly for him to take a job with our PCUSA Board of Pensions, we rented a house from an observant Jewish family. And at first, it was very confusing because there were Sabbath timers on all the lights. But apparently, they hadn't been used for a while. Now, Sabbath timers are designed to turn the lights on and off for you on Friday during Shabbat so that you wouldn't do that work. However, maybe they hadn't been used. They weren't on the right time zone. As a result, the lights went on and off at random times all week. It was always a big surprise. And then our kids wondered what these mezuzahs were. For a while, it felt as if we were reading someone else's mail just by being in this house or eavesdropping on another way of life. But we came to know it and to appreciate it because the Shema is not someone else's mail. It's in our scriptures. The Shema and Deuteronomy repeat these laws and stories of God's grace for us all throughout scriptures, including for Christians, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they say that they are for hearing God's word today, for us. They're not in order to be legalistic, but they're a reminder for our ears and our eyeballs and our hearts in order to set the direction of our lives and our conduct for us to say, hear that the Lord is our God, and so love the Lord, and later, love your neighbor. It's both a claim and a confession, and it can shape our identity. The amazing thing I learned is that this idea of a love relationship with God is a new contribution that came from Deuteronomy. That scripture and, over, and God's story had evolved over the time they were in the wilderness. 
to help them understand that it's not just a legal covenant, it's a love relationship. We're so thankful for that. And Jesus picks it up that our love is rooted in the prior love of our one God. It's in Deuteronomy 4.37, but then Jesus picks it up, reminds people that the Lord is one, the Lord alone is God, and you shall love the Lord our God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's in Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10. And then the apostles repeat Jesus' words. We hear in 1 John that Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You will walk in the way of the Lord. It's never unclear in the Bible how showing love comes through worship and obedience, through our actions, not just our thinking and our intentions. The Shema calls for total commitment to love God with all our heart, soul, and might. In the New Testament, it's the mind, soul, the spirit. <clears throat> From your heart to your will is this totality, this excess, this muchness. In this passage, it's literally your very much might. So the Shema means hear and obey. We have not heard until we obey and keep obeying. Your necessary response is to love God and obey God and your neighbor with a discipline and an intensity that Jesus talks about in Luke 10, 27. Sometimes we don't think about intensity of attitude and intention and maybe even practice and training towards loving God and loving our neighbor. It made me think about climbing a mountain or preparing for some big bucket list event. In John Krakauer's best-selling book, Into Thin Air, he tells the story of the ill-fated expedition to the summit of Mount Everest in 1996. There was a member of the expedition named Yasuko Namba. Ms. Namba was a 46-year-old. She worked for FedEx in Japan, and she had a passion for climbing. She was very accomplished. <clears throat> in fact, she had reached the summit of seven of the largest mountains on the planet. And so Mount Everest was the last of the biggies, the tallest, for her to accomplish. She desperately wanted to get to the top of Everest as well. This was her goal. So much so that Krakauer, who was also a member of the expedition, tells in his book how Yasuko was totally focused on the top. It was almost as if she was in a trance while she was climbing. She pushed extremely hard, jostling her way past everybody to the front, push, push, pushing herself to the limits. She wanted to get to the top of Everest and would do whatever it take. And so later that day, she made it. She accomplished her goal. She was the oldest person ever to make it to the highest point in the world. And all of Japan celebrated with her at that. But later that afternoon, Yasuko and a number of other climbers were caught in a terrible blizzard. As the icy winds blew in, Yasuko summed to the exhaustion of her climb, of her hard pace. She froze to death. They were unable to rescue her. Yasuko Nambo died agonizingly close in time and location to where she had gained her greatest prize, which helps explain her tragic mistake. 
According to Krakauer, Yusuko's fatal flaw was that she adopted the wrong goal. Her goal had only been to get to the top of the mountain. What she wanted most was to stand on top of the world and have the world cheer with her, which they did. But this was the wrong goal. I'm told by my husband and other climbers that it can be a frequent and sometimes fatal mistake that you're warned against it, that you have to obey your guides, you have to know how to pace yourself and when to come back down. The goal of climbing should never be just to get to the top of the mountain. Successful climbers know the goal is not just to get to the top, it's to get back down safely again. The tragedy is that Yasuko accomplished her goal against, against incredible odds. She made it to the top, but she did not save enough strength as she poured out her energy to make it back down again. Perhaps she failed because she adopted the wrong goal. So as we look at Moses' words, as we look at the Ten Commandments and the Shema, we see that it is God's way to protect God's free people, to help the Israelites set the right goal, not just to get to the new land, which they've been striving for for 40 years, but to live there together as God's free people in relationship with God and with each other to live in peace or shalom. God set away a goal for them to make it to the top of the mountain and back down again. How is this possible? The Bible tells us that it is all, the covenant is based on hesed, which is a Hebrew word that appears time and time again in the Bible. It means God's steadfast loving kindness. You hear it over and over in the Psalms and in scriptures, that our God is steadfast, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That is this word. God's loving kindness, God's way with Israel, is to be the basis of their present life and conduct. It's central to the Jewish faith. It's the plumb line against which Jewish relationships with the Lord was measured then and now. So Moses was saying to the generations, since you have seen and experienced God's chesed, good, loving kindness for yourself, pass it on when you get to your new place. So what is the good news now? What is the good news for us today? Well, this instruction is for us too. God is trying to protect and prepare us. You might say, what, are you kidding me? We weren't there. How do I know this? Well, when I read this section beginning in verse 3, it says this, Not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with all of us, all of us here alive today, the living here today. Now, you might say, well, still, we weren't gathered there. What are you talking about? You see, this isn't, isn't literal. If you looked at it, Moses was making a mistake by saying, not with your ancestors, God made this covenant with you. Because that whole generation had died. These are the children and the grandchildren to whom he is passing this on. They're not the first generation of Israelites. It's 40 years later. But Moses' concern is not history. It's transformation. He wants all the generations to be transformed as they follow God, as they love God and one another, as they enter the land. So take note, this passage and what follows it can speak to us 
We, who are the umpteenth generation from those who gathered at Mount Sinai, we are addressed by these words, all of us here alive today. We're called to choose how we will love God and live. You see, speak, Scripture speaks to us to inform us, seeks to inform us, but even more to transform us, to invite us to enter into the story of God and Israel, the story of Christ and the church, and to find our own story. So Deuteronomy 6 can become a companion for us in our way of life. This reminded me of Proverbs 6, 20 to 22, is stated from a kid's eye view. Bind these commands on your heart always. Listen to your mother and father. Tie them about your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awaken, they will talk with you. I love that way of putting it. The Shema sets a goal for a family to make it to the top of the mountain and back down again, leading all generations with them. That's why Deuteronomy is aimed at the next generation. We could picture a family in lively conversation about the meaning of their experience with God and God's expectations with them. And yet research shows today that we might not be very good at sharing our own faith experiences with our kids. Teens say that some of them have never heard their parents' own stories of faith, their grandparents. So let's share those, not as a lecture, but just as, let me tell you a story about myself. Parents are to paint pictures. Grandparents are to paint pictures of their past and tell stories of God's faithfulness so children can receive what is as real what they have not yet experienced for themselves in order to protect and prepare the next generation. So this is for us. And the next good piece of news is that Jesus takes this and boils it down to a simple instruction. Hear God, love God, love our neighbor. It's so much simpler than the 613 laws and commands which we have in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. I said it's simple. I didn't say it was easy. Jesus summarizes this by saying, all the law and the prophets hang on this. The whole Old Testament, the whole Bible hangs on these two commandments in Matthew 22. It's not as a way to become saved, but as a result of being saved. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Not as a way to make God love you, but as a way to say thank you to God, as we've talked about in recent weeks, because God already loved you and saved you in Christ. The same was true for the Israelites. They didn't get the law before they left Egypt, before the Exodus. They got it after God saved them. And so for us, what can we do to remember? Write the commands everywhere on our refrigerators, framed art, email signatures, letters, texts to one another, posts, encouragements. They help us to remember, and our friends and the next generation to remember and be grateful. These words keep us faithful to our God and to God's people. They'll keep us from idolatry, which could be defined as forgetting or complaining or being faithless. 
The Shema says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as Jesus talks about it. Love your neighbor. It's to be everywhere so we don't forget. How could they forget? Well, as we walked alongside them for 40 years, the answer is easily. They forgot easily. And let's face it, we too forget. In verse 12 and later in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, Moses looks ahead. He spends most of his time talking about what is going to happen when they're in the land and they settle down. The huge thing that Moses is concerned with is that they might forget God. And why does he have to keep saying this over and over? Why do we have to keep saying it to ourselves over and over? Why does it have to become your daily business too? Why do you need daily devotions too of reading or praying? Why do you need to, if you have children or grandchildren, be reminding them of God's work, God's faithfulness, God's no matter what love, to be reminding them constantly? Well, because life kind of runs along for most of us, time gets away with us, we're not usually in the wilderness, but it could be said that we're in the promised land. Life gets comfortable, and when life gets comfortable, God can recede into the background, and when that happens, we find ourselves slipping. I'd love to have you encourage one another with creative ways to share your faith, to remind one another, perhaps in your small groups or over lunch. I know in our family, one of the ways we did the year that both of our very faithful, devoted grandmothers died, we gave all the women in our family charms that I wear every day. It's Celtic. It's a Trinity double knot. It's a reminder of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the reason it's a double knot is because we were, wanted to remind the second and third generation that not only did we have an exterior faith, which was our family's faith that we received from our grandmothers and others, but also it's an interior faith that you just don't automatically take on your family's faith, but you need to make it your own. Do you have faith that lasts for a lifetime, what we call sticky faith? This is my reminder and my family's reminder we can set goals for our families to make it to the top of the mountain and back down again, leading all the generations. So let's hear Moses' final words before the people enter the promised land. It's from Deuteronomy 32. When Moses had finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words that I am giving in witness against you today. Give them as commands to your children so that they may diligently observe all the words of this law. This is no trifling matter for you, but rather your very life. And Jesus says, remember this simple instruction. Don't forget it. Love God, love your neighbor. Your life depends on it. So here we are at the conclusion of our two months Exodus journey with the Israelites. We could say thank you to Moses for serving as our good guide through the wilderness along with the Israelites. Let's take time this week to set our own goals, to make it to the top of the mountain and back down again, leading all generations. 
Along with Moses, I remind each of us, you are here at this in-between place in your journey. Here, O First Pres Evanston, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself, says Jesus. So in closing, let's pray together our breath prayer, which we share as simply as breathing aloud. Let's say this together.